right. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. First time ever. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us. First time live on YouTube. And guess what? I am beyond nervous. I literally am a holy mess. So we're going to start this in prayer together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us in our mess. Thank you for taking on our mess. Thank you for coming into the mess of our lives, not to merely just clean it up, but to use it, to redeem it, to make our mess, to turn our mess into a beautiful message of hope. Heavenly Father, thank you for this special episode as we come together to honor His Holiness Emeritus, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, whose funeral was celebrated today. We continue to pray for the repose of his soul and for the Holy Catholic Church. And why don't we pray together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As I said, this is the first time doing it, so this is going to be a bit messy. I'm beyond grateful to have a lot of help. I have my uh, my good friend here, uh, Father Bob McLaughlin. He's going to be uh, producing this episode. So thank you to Father Bob for being here and helping me out. <laughs> All right. So uh, I have a lot of guests uh, and I'm very grateful that they came on here to want to talk about this late great Pope, Pope Benedict the 16th. Some of my friends are going to be on here uh, on a panel with me, uh, perhaps for some of the time. Uh, so first, I'm going to introduce a friend of mine. He's not going to go first, but I want to welcome him onto the panel. Uh, Brian Greenfield. Brian Greenfield is a very good friend of mine. We go way back. Uh, and Brian, you know, it's been a while since we last talked, but I'm assuming that you're still teaching. Are you still a professor as well as a popular in-demand Catholic speaker around the United States of America? <laughs> I don't know about in-demand Catholic speaker. You know, I, I speak a little bit. And um, right now I'm an administrator. I'm a dean of discipline at All Guys High School. So all right. Well, listen, Brian, Brian, you are extremely instrumental in my faith of why I even remain Catholic. And maybe we'll get into that on a whole ep other episode uh, some other time. And uh, we'll get back to you in just one moment. I want to uh, introduce my friend. Uh, I call him Uncle Matt Laracy. Uh, He's not my uncle, but I call him Uncle Matt because he is some of my very good friends Uncle Matt, and he is joining us as well. Uh, I'm assuming uh, for the for the whole time, but you guys can hop on and off. Brian, thank you for coming here. I know tonight, today is your son's birthday, is Michael's birthday, so a big shout out to Michael. All you listeners, pray for Michael. Today is his birthday, so happy birthday to him. Thanks for being here. <clears throat> 
My very first guest, though, I don't want to keep him waiting long because he is a bishop. He is at the ordinary of a diocese. In fact, even though I know many bishops and am friendly with many bishops, he is the only bishop in the world that I can truly consider my friend. As I said to him, originally you were a bishop who became my friend, but now you are my friend who happened to become a bishop. So, Bishop Larry Silva, Bishop of the Diocese of Honolulu, uh, welcome to a holy mess with His Holiness, Father Paul. Thank you. Aloha to you all. Good to be with you. Aloha, aloha. Now, I'm trying to work out uh, how the, the screens work with when the main person is speaking, how to make you get a little bit bigger, but I'm not exactly sure how to do that. Bishop Larry, I know you're squeezing us in in between uh, two uh, important meetings, and uh, so thank you so much for doing this. And um, But you were very quick to say yes, and I may be wrong about this specific detail, but I think I'm close to it. Is it true that Pope Emeritus, that, that when Pope, when Joseph Ratzinger, Cardinal Ratzinger, became Pope in, I believe it was April 2005, is it true that his a first appointment, the first person he ever made a bishop was you? Well, it's somewhat true, yes. Uh, his first batch of bishops included me. So there were uh, two auxiliary bishops of... Uh, Washington of uh, Seattle that he had named, and uh, on the same day that I was named, also Bishop Van, uh, who's now the Bishop of uh, Orange. So we were uh, we were the first to be named bishops by uh, the new Pope Benedict XVI. What was that like for you? I mean, what what was that like? I know you're a priest from the Diocese of Oakland, and I know we're here to talk about the Pope, but. Uh, does he have, um, well, I'll, I'll put it this way to, to mesh it in with uh, Pope Benedict. Does he have a very special place in your in your heart because he named you a bishop? Or is the burden so heavy it's the opposite? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I know, I'm um, just kidding. I mean, there, are heavy, there is a heaviness to the burden at times, but it really is. I, I'm very blessed. I mean, I have such, such great people and priests that I work with and... Uh, I, I'm very blessed. So I'm very grateful that, uh, uh, you know, the Lord called me to be a bishop and uh, um, and that Benedict was the, the one who uh, actually signed, the, signed on the dotted line and uh, issued the decree that I would be. Um, so, yeah, so after uh, I was ordained, with, they have a, a new bishop school, they call it Baby Bishop School in Rome. And so all of the bishops who are ordained that year go to uh, to Rome for about a week of orientation and talks. And one of the highlights of that was to go visit uh, Pope Benedict. at He was at Castel Gandolfo at the time. So he gave us a talk. Of course, there were about 120 bishops there from all over the world and gave us a pectoral cross, which I wore last night at a memorial mass we had for him at uh, our co-cathedral here and uh, um, you know got to meet him and and shake his hand and uh, he he was uh, fascinated that I was from Hawaii he says uh, well, a lot of tourists in Hawaii yeah a lot of tourists in Hawaii yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. that that 
I know that was the first time that you had met him, but it was not the last, right? You had some ad limina visits with him? I had one ad limina visit with him, so that was great. Um, I had a, a good time with that. Um, but also I met him a couple of other times uh, because we had the privilege of having two saints canonized during his time. He was the one who canonized first St. Damien of Molokai, and that was in 2009, and then St. Marianne Cope uh, in 2012. So on both occasions, I was able to, uh, to meet him and to uh, thank him for canonizing both of these saints from Hawaii. And I'm grateful that he did that because that's how I met you. I met you while you were on your way to Rome from Honolulu, stopped in Newark, and you stayed over at um, our seminary, Immaculate Conception Seminary uh, in South Orange, Seton Hall University, because you were very good friends with one of our professors and our formators, Father Tony Bico, Father Antonio Bico, uh, may he rest in peace. Yeah. And I'm forever grateful because that's how we met and how I am now friends with you. Amen. Also grateful for that. Um, Bishop Silva, any particular thoughts about Benedict, about his legacy, about anything that you personally appreciated about him or anything at all? I know you're very busy, but uh, before you go, any, any thoughts about Pope Benedict in general? Well, the first thing, that, my first exposure to him was uh, a book that he wrote on the creed. And I read this when I was a seminarian, so back in maybe 71 or so. It was theologically very thick. You know, it was not, uh, you know, for theological novices. It was uh, a lot of uh, very technical language. But it was one of the most spiritually moving and profound books that I have ever read. And so uh, I think that's really who he is, that he has a, 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 one of the best minds in history, and but is able to uh, uh, articulate uh, very well what is in his mind, but he also has a great heart and a great faith in Jesus and uh, is able to articulate that as well. And even in the midst of, you know, these, uh, you know, $5 million words that he would use in the this theological treatise, um, you could you could tell very easily that he was a man of great spiritual depth. And I think all of his writings are like that. I think someday he will be declared a doctor of the church uh, because his writings are just so uh, profound and spiritually moving. Wow, I mean that's yeah. that's a big prediction, I, and I don't I don't think you're off on that. I mean, we haven't had a doctor. Was the last doctor uh, Saint Therese? Was that uh, John Paul II? Was that the? I, I'm not exactly sure, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but yeah. I think we only have about 33 or 34 doctors in the entire history of the Catholic Church, and I absolutely believe that Pope Benedict will will be the next. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Bishop Silva, um, of course, you could say anything you want. You could stay as long as you want, but I know uh, you have a lot going on. Uh, I'm beyond excited uh, and grateful for you to come on here. Uh, and I look, 
I look forward to uh, to talk not only to talking to you soon, but to visiting you soon. Yes, because it's always great to visit the great state of Hawaii. You're always welcome, and uh, thank you for having me. God bless. Thank you, you for. Thank you and God bless you. And we got to have you on this podcast uh, to not only talk about you, but to, so that people can learn a lot more about St. Damien and St. Marianne Cope. Fine. Great. And I know there's a, another uh, Joseph Dutton that's in the, uh, the yes. talks right now. So you might have three. Right. Good. All right. God bless you, Bishop Silva. God bless you. Take care. Take care now. All right. All right. Thank you, uh, Bishop Silva. Okay. I have a, a couple other people I'm just going to introduce here uh, on my panel. Again, this is going to be a little messy time ago. Uh, our next guest is going to be Bill Dunahee, but I'm just going to invite a couple of my friends on here that I asked to, I figured the more friends, the more comfortable I would be. So uh, I have a friend here, uh, Tim Hanley. Uh, Tim Hanley's been a, a really good friend of mine uh, for a, a very long time. I see Brian, Brian smiling at Tim's on here, uh, Brian's uh, friend. So uh, Tim, welcome to this uh, special episode of uh, A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess. Thanks for being here. Your Holy Mess, it is a honor to be with your messy self. I have such a mess. I have such a mess. And I'm going to uh, just, I know, Brian, it's your son's birthday. I know you have to go. I, I promised Bill that he'd be next, but I want to give you, I messed up the schedule and uh, you were kind enough. Is there anything that you would like to say about uh, Pope Benedict right before you go? I mean, I, I think he was the, I think I was uh, 22 when, 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 when he became Pope or 23 when I was working at a, uh, Primus Catholic High School. So I remember when, when he became Pope and he was one of the, he was the first Pope that I felt that I had a connection with because I saw him from beginning and through his, through his pontificate. Right. So, um, and I think he gave a good example, especially for a guy like me who was very, um, at that time I was easily influenced because I was searching for how to live out the faith and I could have gone in any direction, but um, his example of orthodoxy, especially for a guy like me in that time, um, his, uh, the, the, um, the call to live above the culture, you know, uh, not to, 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 to live out the holiness that the culture was calling me to, but that there was a deeper holiness that I was called to live out in imitation of Christ, right? To follow Christ in the midst of the culture that we live in. Um, that orthodoxy, uh, that, that, that focus on Christ, um, the focus on holiness, the example of what heroic virtue looked like when it was attempted to be lived out, right? Um, I think those things that I saw in, in, in Pope Benedict, those influenced me at a time when I needed like the direction, when I was trying to figure out who I was called to be as a man, as a man, uh, but who I was called to be as a man of God, the direction that I was called to go in. Um, I think it speaks to us right now also, because I think, you know, there, there, there's the temptation to try to fit our, our, to try to, there's a temptation to allow what's going on in the world to influence our pursuit of Christ, right? As opposed to um, letting our pursuit of Christ uh, uh, be the lens through which we look at the world, right? And I think like he, what Pope Benedict called us to, uh, the focus on Christ, the focus on understanding who Christ was, I think that's needed. I mean, it, it's, it's timeless for those of us who are pursuing holiness, who are intentionally pursuing holiness. So for me, at a time in my 20s, when I was trying to figure out, you know, what holiness looked like, who I was called to be. And there were so many other influences. I think him, 
becoming Pope at that moment, when I could really grasp it, I think it was key for my formation to remain Orthodox, right? To, to you know, to, 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 to see value in the church and to follow what the church was doing. Uh, if it had been uh, someone else who was the head of the church at that time, you know, I'm not too sure if I if 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 I would have valued the church or I would have pursued uh, uh, serving the church in the same way had it not been for you know someone like him at the head of our church. So, and I know, and I know that you know theology, you know. Uh, so for you to say that, um, and and because of the formation that you received through Pope Benedict, and which helped you your love for the church, the formation of the church. Uh, that was a, a a blessing to me because you you represent to me when I think of you, Brian. Besides just a, a good friend, but like you you are like one of the roots and the foundation for me in my journey of Catholicism. You know what I mean? I had a lot of questions about why Catholic and why this, and you are uh, a, like a, a not just a, like a, a steep tree trunk that kept me here even before I even thought about the, the seminary. Um, so I, I just want to uh, thank you for that. I'm sorry, I, I got distracted by something. So uh, Brian, uh, thank you for your thoughts. Listen, I would love for you to come back uh, on an entire podcast, an entire episode. Would love to interview. I'm sorry to be very short with you right now, but like I said, it's a bit messy. I know you have to go. Uh, thank you for your thoughts, and I can't wait to have you back, Brian. God bless you. Proud of you. Love y'all. I I'll love you too, you. man. Please say hi to your whole family for me. And happy Absolutely. birthday to Michael. Say a we'll prayer. Do. I calm down a little bit. All right. Thanks. All right. See you, Tim. All right. So to my next guest, I apologize. I said you were going to go right after the bishop. So Mia Copa, Mia Copa, Mia Maxima Copa. Uh, I can't wait to welcome here right now. Where'd he go? <laughs> Bill Cunningham. Hey, Bill Dunn, the uh, the the screen here. I don't know what's happening right now. It's fun. Oh. It's exciting. Stuff's moving and shaking. It's, it's a mess. Yeah. I, there's my buddy Tim. There he is, Bill Dunahy with the Theology of the Body Institute. You know, it's funny. I asked everyone to give me their bios. Do you think I have the bios in front of me right now? Absolutely. No, not i know my friend's shaking his head so i actually i actually might uh, hear but i know bill he's um the uh theo theological advisor he's a very smart smart man who teaches many many courses on the theology of the body please lord jesus help me find it right now all right i'll, I'll take that it. don't worry about it father paul please you're doing great oh, go, come bill, on let's give bill. a round of applause he's rocking Bill is a senior lecturer and a faculty member of the Theology of the Body Institute, as well as an international speaker. He has given talks and retreats to bishops, priests, deacons, consecrated men and women, and the lay faithful across the United States. Bill is also the co-author with Chris Stefanik of the Rise 30-Day Challenge for Men program and editor of the Strive21.com initiative with Matt Frad. He and his wife, Rebecca, live just outside of Philadelphia, PA, with their four children so there we go i got it i wanted to do plugs and uh you know, bill you're so professional father you're so professional i'm the I worst this is gonna be a mess <laughs> yeah yeah exactly man it is trust me it is it's great to be so, on with you i love it this is a great platform to have a chat about a great man uh i miss him already so thank you for the invitation father paul 
Yeah, you're very welcome. And, and thank you for saying yes. And uh, I can only imagine the things that, that you have uh, to say about him. Bill, I've mm. taken a, a couple of your courses. One of them uh, that's definitely coming to mind right now is the theology of the body and the way of beauty. Is that right? Yeah. Is that the correct title of the yeah, course? The or no, theology of the body and art and the way yes, of it's beauty. called the way of beauty, theology of the body and art. And honestly, uh, I've been crafting, I crafted that for years and Pope Benedict was a massive inspiration because he is a Pope. If you read his, his stuff, he was always enraptured by beauty, by the transcendental of beauty. And, uh, it's, I find myself, even when I teach theology of the body, I'm quoting JP too, of course, I'm almost equally quoting Pope Benedict. His teaching, his writing, you know, as as Brian was just saying, your other guest, uh, he's so deep in my soul. I just love the way he articulates God as beauty and invites us into beauty. And so a lot of that course was inspired by um, his insights. So yeah, he's a tremendous gift. Yeah, and you know, I know that we focus on the you know the theology of the body is a work of of john paul ii's uh saint john paul ii now but you know having known him for so for so long and all of the different letters and there's even a retreat that he did for artists which the theology of the body mm -hmm. of the institute just published about mm -hmm. a year ago or so but how did yeah. pope benedict how did he either add or help or maybe even his his own initiative on that, but but in terms of the beauty and art, I know so much we think you know theology of the body, John Paul II, and artists. But how did Pope Benedict um, add and contribute also to that? You know, I, I think I've been thinking about that obviously in the last couple of days. The uniqueness of Pope Benedict, um, he's I mean he's a he's a massive theologian, obviously, but he just felt more readable and approachable and he had a way of humanizing things that i was thinking about it today john paul ii he's my man you know but listening and reading him sometimes feels like you're at a ted talk you know and it's about you know uh, i don't know molecular biology and you're like whoa this is amazing but it's i gotta read it six times to get it you know that's john paul ii it's like the ted talk but re but reading or hearing pope benedict it's like a spiritual director. It's like a spiritual father who's somehow humanizing this theology so it lands easier, if that makes sense. So, so the way that Benedict would, would write so pastorally and beautifully, if, again, it feels like a spiritual father is giving you something. And you can it feels warm. You get it right away. This is not to like put them at odds. I mean, they're like Batman and Robin for me. John Paul II and Benedict, Batman and Robin. Right? The dynamic <laughs> duo. But it's like, uh, Benedict, I, you know, I, I go in and I read again and again, and it's just like, ah, he's so crisp and so clear. And again, humanizing big thoughts. And by going at beauty too, you know, John Paul too, I think his transcendental was truth. You know, it was all about truth by getting into beauty. Pope Benedict seems to really just, he opened my heart a little easier for all the truth to slide in, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, and it was you know it was in your course uh, theology of the body and the way of beauty where I came upon um, a quote of his and and of course I'm not going to be be able to remember it exactly, but it had to do with with being right not with just like we're human doers but we're we're human beings and the, the whole thing about art and and play I remember coming off of um, 
uh, off of that course and that whole weekend, like just giving an entire homily. And a matter of fact, I even talked about it at Tim's house. Tim had some nights of worship where, you know, uh, because I know, you know, at um, uh, the um, Auschwitz, uh, the concentration camp, the 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 on the doorpost is you know i don't know how, what it says in in german but the translation is um uh work um what something about work what does it say about work on the the title there auschwitz anyone no i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah no it, that, that was the whole thing about it that that benedict the 16th he did this whole thing on like you know with the nazis everything was about work 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 oh, work will and, set you free father joseph yeah, that's what it said. was Work will set you free. All right. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So sorry about that. Work will set you free. And he did this whole thing. Like, no, it's not work that will set you free. It's it's Christ mm. that will set you free. It's the work of yeah. Christ that will that that will set you free. So yeah, um, and, it's, and it's Christ who is beauty who will set you free. And I think Benedict's gifts of unpacking Christ as the beautiful one. You know, I mean, he has these amazing insights where Benedict will say. Beauty, which is Christ, is like a dart that pierces us and opens us up. It gives us wings to fly. I mean, he, he was such a poet. You could tell that Benedict was moved by beauty himself. You know, and I, and I do feel like a lot of people respond to that. You know, I mean, he, he was a classically trained pianist. You know, he loved classical music. He could play Beethoven and Mozart. A lot of people don't know that, that he had that amazing gift of music. And when you read him and you see his accents on beauty, you know, this is coming from experience. This is an experience of God as beauty. And I think that's why it, all the more it, it, we warm up to it, you know. And he had such a gentle demeanor. You know, when I when I was growing up, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger was, you know, prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. He was like God's Rottweiler, they say, the German shepherd, you know. And you get this impression from the media that he was this tough guy, the Pope's right-hand man, but he was never really, he was always this gentle, pastoral, lover of beauty, um, a listener, uh, a, a peaceful spirit. And now I think hopefully people are going to start to realize more and more as they study Benedict's life, they'll realize what a gift he was. You know, this gentle shepherd uh, who always was had a calmness. People talk about... Uh, like being around him, this mildness and this humility that just kind of drew you in, you know? So he wasn't like this, you know, the God's right hand, the Pope's right hand man, this tough guy, but just a beautiful soul and a beautiful heart. Amen. Um, Bill, thank you. Uh, thank you for being on here. Thank you for your contribution. Yeah. Thank you for your love of beauty. Thank you for your love of the church. And uh, thank you that you do uh, for, uh, for all of us. Um, not only your students, but just uh, the personal witness of, of holiness that you are. And again, I know we talked about it, and I'm saying this to every guest, but that's because I, I really want to have you come back and we do a whole episode just with you, and maybe we could get way more into the whole theology of of beauty and the way of beauty. So Bill Donahue, Theology of the Body Institute, thank you for being here. Thank you, Father God Paul. God bless all the guests, and thank you for this uh, opportunity to talk about a great man. God bless Pope Benedict. Thanks, Father Paul. Thanks for Bye, being guys. here. Truly. Absolutely. All right. All right. So here we go. We're 28 minutes in, and we have a lot of people waiting here. Sorry to uh, keep you all waiting so long. Um, I'm trying to keep it going as fast as we can. Uh, right now, nope, that's sorry. I just made a mistake there. My buddy Mike Mangione. 
Mike Mangione is uh <laughs> are you driving, brother? I mean good maybe. to see you, man. <laughs> yeah, maybe good. I but mean, no, I'm just great. Good to see you guys too. I'll just Hey man, Mike Mangione is a good friend of mine. He's also um with the theology of the body. Uh, Institute as their event coordinator, but uh, Mike is known uh, really for being uh, an excellent uh, musician, uh, singer, artist, songwriter, guitar player, and uh, has an incredible wit, uh, sense of humor. Mike Mangione, thank you for being on A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. Thank you, Father Paul. It's good to be here, and you are a mess, and I love you. The biggest ever, dude. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Mike, any thoughts That's on the poll? Yeah, definitely. Any thoughts so, on the, on uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict? Yeah, so I just want to share this because you, you you mentioned coming on. I said I don't really know. I didn't read too much of Benedict, and then like an idiot, I'm like, yeah, but I've heard some great stuff from Christopher. Christopher said some great stuff, so maybe get him on the show. And then you said, well, just We're, we're losing it. We're um, losing it, Mike. I decided that I needed. Uh, uh, am I am I better now? Because I can pull. Right, right now, you're better. Yes. Can you hear me? Yep. Got you. All right. So. All right. I think we're having some. Uh, after, you know, after. Am I there? Now you are, buddy, but it's definitely going in and out. No worries. No worries. I know you're doing me a favor. You were busy. You're doing me a huge favor. Okay. I'm okay. just grateful. Or you're just pulling a big prank on I just us. Wanna, can you hear me? Yeah, man. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Here, can you hear me? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I've stopped. Okay. So I just, sorry about that. In 2005, I went to World Youth Day, and um, uh, you know, it was the first one after John Paul II had left, um, and it was the first one with Benedict. And it was there with uh, a million people uh, in a field called the Marion Field in Cologne, Germany, with Benedict, that I put a ring on my wife's finger, my girlfriend's finger, and asked her to marry me uh, during adoration. So um, the coolest thing I could say is that he was with me uh, as we were adoring Jesus when I proposed to my wife, which was a pretty special moment. And then a million other people. But um, yeah, that was a pretty good memory. Hey man, I was with I was with you too, Mike. I didn't even know it. Did you hear my buddy Tim? We go back. <laughs> That's great. Well, listen, Mike. Uh, are you on your way to play That's tonight? Are you playing? Are you playing no, no, tonight, buddy? Go visit. A, go visit. A, no, I'm gonna go visit a friend tonight. I'm taking the night off. All right. Well, listen, thanks for coming on. Uh, tell uh, Stacy hello. And uh, yeah, that's beautiful. I did not know that you pro uh, proposed to her during adoration at World Youth Day with Pope Benedict. So uh, right. blessings to you. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad she said yes, to be honest with you. So that was that's a great I didn't thing. Think she you know, would. I didn't, she broke yeah. up with me six, six times and I figured I should probably. Yeah. Well, you know, asking her in front of like, you know, a million people. So. That would have been bad. Imagine she said no, and like the camera was on you in front of like two million people in the middle of Germany. Yeah. Like they, they do those things at the, yes, in yeah. the arenas at the basketball. Yeah. All right, dude. Yeah. God bless. Thanks for uh, being God on bless, here. God bless, guys. Peace. Peace in the Middle East. All right. So 
now, here we go. Hold on. We have uh, Professor Janet Smith. Hold on one second. Dr. Smith, thank you very much for being on this very messy, new, pseudo-professional podcast, A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess. I want to do a, just read a little bit about Dr. Janet Smith because I want everyone to know who she is and to read her stuff. And I, I'm very excited that she's going to come on uh, A Holy Mess in just a couple of weeks. I'm not going to tell you what that's going to be about yet. Uh, Dr. Smith, Janet Smith, is retired from Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, where she held the Father Michael J. McGivney Chair of Life Ethics. She is the author of Humanae Vitae, A Generation Later and a Right to Privacy. Self-Gift is a volume that is published on Humanae Vitae and the Thought of John Paul II. She edited Why Humanae Vitae is Right, A Reader, Life Issues, Medical Choices, Living the Truth in Love, Pastoral Approaches to Same-Sex Attractions, and Why Humanae Vitae is Still Right. Professor Smith served three times as a consultant to the Pontifical Council on the Family and also served as a member of the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission uh, for eight years. She writes regularly for the National Catholic Register and for Crisis Magazine. She has received three honorary doctorates and several other awards for scholarship and service, has appeared on much more bigger shows than this one, The Geraldo Show, Fox Morning News, CNN, and many others. And most important, well, in my eyes, more than 2 million copies of her talk, Contraception, Why Not?, have been distributed. Um, and all of her materials can be found at JanetSmith.com. Org, uh, Dr. Janet Smith, thank you for being on here. That's fine. Thanks. I, I like everything I've heard. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. I was so excited when you said yes. I was like, oh my gosh. And then I saw your resume, like Geraldo, and I'm like, oh no, this is uh, not that type of production. But uh, Dr. Smith, I have been a literally a student of yours um, through the Theology of the Body Institute. Uh, about 11 years ago or so, when uh, Christopher was on sabbatical, you had taught Theology of the Body, one, head and, and heart. But obviously, I knew of you because of uh, your very famous talk, uh, Contraception, Why Not? I know that you're somebody who loves the church, and you uh, were a professor for 20 years at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit. Is that correct? So, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, what you're welcome to share your thoughts on the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI. Thank you. Yes, I, I really love everything that's been said. That I, I resonate most, I would say, with uh, Bill Donahue's, Donahue's um, presentation. I couldn't say it better. Uh, I, I basically agree with everything he said. But for me, as John Paul II is number one. That's all I can say. I mean, and uh, some people think that's cruel or insensitive at this time. And all I have to say is Benedict would have no problem with that. Um, Benedict's an academic and academics don't have any trouble with comparison and contrast and rating this and rating that. And, and obviously they had different skills and they were extremely complimentary. Um, as Bill said, uh, when I first picked up Benedict to read him, it was just like, a breath of fresh air. I mean, you know, after you've been slogging through uh, John Paul II, and you do have to read every sentence two or three times. And, uh, and, and some, sometimes the prose is brilliant, but it's so deep, it's just really hard to, 
just slide through it. With, with Benedict, I just felt like I was in fresh mountain air and bubbling creeks that were beautiful, clear water. And it was just so clear. I'm thinking, whoa, we need this. We need this. And he clearly is a theologian, much more than a philosopher. And uh, John Paul II was really both. But um, being more philosophical myself than theological, I, I drift towards um, John Paul II because of his strong Aristotelian Thomistic background. Whereas Benedict, uh, there's nothing he would, you know, he, I mean, it, and it actually took um, John Paul II some time to discover the necessity of metaphysics and uh, philosophy. He was, he loved literature. And so he loved the beauty of literature. Uh, it, Benedict likes the beauty of, of music and the and scripture. <laughs> so, uh, if, you know, if I want to read something uh, about Jesus, I would be reading his books on Jesus of Nazareth. Or is just again, you're like sitting on a mountainside and just enjoying the fresh air and the bubbling brooks and the birds. I mean, and it's not that it's easy; it's deceptively um, brilliant. You know, it, it, it it's not like flashing everywhere. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. You just but it is, all right? And, and he's, he's doing just a gorgeous job of presenting, uh, in a sense, the basics of, of the Christian faith. So I, I remember, uh, I mean, I sent you a note that I wrote this, that when I first saw Ratzinger there as Pope, I, I always liked him. I, I always thought he was exceptional uh, thinker and, and person too. I knew he wasn't the Rottweiler. Uh, I actually, anybody who reads his stuff can't believe that, not for, for half a second. But I, I immediately fell in love with him when he stood on the balcony. And I, 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 said, I stood there feeling like an unfaithful spouse. I said, wait, John Paul II had my heart completely. How can I just immediately shift over to uh, Benedict? But, but I did. And I mean, I have great sympathy for him because he is, a, I mean, he's 100% um, an academic. Of course, a priest first and everything, but this, the, the, he, 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 he does that through at, um, theology and books, whereas John Paul II was an actor. I mean, he loved being on the world stage. I mean, he had no trouble talking to crowds of, you know, 100,000 people, whereas, I want to say, poor Benedict. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, we would just as soon be in a chair in our office reading something, and it was it was a huge sacrifice for him to become the Pope. I mean, people were thinking he was salivating to become Pope because he could bring the hammer down on all those that he disliked. And the thing is, he's saying, oh, I have so much to write and read. And now I have to go to big, big meetings and, and bless people. And I, I like blessing people, but that's, it's not really what makes my, you know, anyway. So I just sympathized with him completely thinking he has to retool himself in order to do this job. He doesn't get up in the morning and say, oh great, I have five huge big events out on, in the piazza. You know, he, he's an introvert. The best scholars are introverts. And, and so this is for him, it drains everything in his system uh, to go out and do that. And as I, the two things that I, I'm, I'm grateful for, for many things, and I think these are what I'm most grateful for, but that's, that list doesn't have to be perfect. But again, here is a man who was an academic. And when he was in uh, in the CDF, he saw that nobody in Rome was doing anything about the sex abuse crisis. And so he raised his hand and he says, send them to me. Right now, no, nobody, let alone academics, but nobody wants to deal with sex abuse cases. 
They, everybody wants to ignore them, cover them up, make them help, hope they go away. They assign them to some underling to do, some auxiliary bishop to take care of. Don't, nobody wants to deal with them. But he said, send them to me. And I, I read a story that said that he said, I'm gonna need a new file cabinet in my office. And then he found out he needed a whole room full of file cabinets. You know, and I don't remember the number of priests that he um, demoted in a sense, they suspended. Uh, I, but it was 4,000 or something, or maybe many more. But I mean, he took it very seriously. Nobody wants to read through files on sex abuse cases. It breaks their heart that a fellow priest could ever have done this. And he knew, he was the first one to meet with victims very compassionately and beautifully. And that's the thing about, I mean, he didn't like big crowds, but he certainly seemed to love meeting with individual people. Um, I've read all these testimonies of people who went to Rome and he would walk from his office back to his apartment when he was working for the CDF and he would just stop and talk to students. And he asked every one of them, like, what brought you to Rome? And what are you studying? And what do you hope to do with it? And then he would encourage them. And so you think about it again, that man, a man that busy and that academic taking time to talk to individuals and to meet with sex abuse victims, which most of us don't know how to do. You know, it's just it, it, like, what can you possibly say, except that I'm so, so sorry. But to do that, to have the, the you know, he's not a counselor, <laughs> you know, and to have the, the um, sensitivity and compassion to say, even if I don't do it perfectly, it's worth doing. And he did it and he did it well. And then the, the other thing, of course, is his, his um, book on the liturgy, the spirit of the liturgy and his permission for the traditional Latin mass. I think it has absolutely um, galvanized uh, a portion of the Catholic church that most people don't even know exists. Um, and nobody, I think, expected there was gonna be this massive influx of young people uh, into the traditional Latin mass. I, my parish has one and there were 300 people there the other night for uh, a requiem mass, uh, 18 altar boys showed up on their day off all right it was it was incredible that these kids a day you know before they have to go back to school they all want to serve at the requiem mass for the the holy father uh so i think uh i mean i'm profoundly grateful for that he did that as a unifying act to say that there are all these people these think people my age i mean i grew up with the latin mass and at that time i have to say it was where i went to church it was sloppily done and i have to say the novus ordo is very sloppily done in the same churches that i went to the latin mass but the latin mass now is grand it's unbelievably grand and because it's that only those who love to do it do it and they do it right you know and they get all the right music and they 18 altar boys we have and it's just it's just it's inspiring in the extreme to see that some of them are little guys, little, little guys that somehow managed to learn the whole mass. And then there's big guys, you know, there's college students and you see them side by side and you say, both of them take great joy in serving. I know, I know I'm going on and on. So I'll just want to say, um, I love to benefit it. Um, and, and don't call him emeritus anymore because he's not emeritus. He's, uh, all, all dead popes are popes. None of them are emeritus popes. All right. Okay. That's a good. Okay. That's a good one. It's the first time. Yeah. In my life. It's our first time. So he's a he's a pope. I loved him. Uh, I think his legacy will be ongoing. Uh, you can't but be grateful for a man like that. I mean, his holiness and his childlike holiness, for an intellect that was as profound as his, 
he basically had a childlike faith. I mean, in that statement, it, it just, it's going to stick with me, I think, forever, you know, is that why should he be afraid of death? Because he's going to go through a door where he has a friend on the other side, and that's Jesus. Wow. You know, and, and how can you, you know, how can you, we have this idea that there's a big bad God that's going to hold us accountable for every little infraction, let alone the big infractions and sins that we've all done. But Benedict said, I don't give it to it's my friend on the other side. So why should I be afraid? That's the, that was his heart in the time he was a child. He felt like Jesus was his friend and he had a childlike confidence in that his whole life. It's incredible. You know, it's, it's, I have to admit when you said, why should he be afraid to go through that door? Cause he has a friend on the other side. And I smiled really big and I said, wow, I was thinking it was John Paul II. And then you said, and then you said Jesus. And I'm like, oh, duh, you know, but I thought it was John Paul II because I saw your post uh, or you shared a post of, you know, John Paul and Benedict embracing in heaven. And John Paul said, I like the day you died or the day after, uh, you know, a thousand people picked up the catechism that we wrote uh, a couple uh, years ago because we just started January. Yeah. So he died in uh, December 31st of 2022 and January 1st, 2023 catechism in a year with father Mike Schmitz the podcast began and thousands and thousands are, are doing it and reading the book that Benedict the 16th and John Paul the second put together. I thought that was a brilliant, I don't know if you came up with that or if you just shared that, but I, I thought that was absolutely beautiful. And Dr. Smith, I want to apologize because you said so many things that I want to respond to and add to. And like you all know, because I emailed you before this, this is uh, a lot of people on here. So I want to give everyone their time. But I am grateful, beyond grateful, that just in a couple of weeks, you and I will meet uh, together one on one for a podcast. So hopefully we can explore uh, some of these beautiful things uh, that you said. Uh, so, Dr. S Dr. Smith, thank you. Beautifully said. And uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to respond to you in, in it uh, when we talk more about this in a couple of weeks. So God bless you. And, and thank you for being here so much. All right, everybody. And thank you to my friends for, for all of your patience. I know I have a lot of people on here. I'm going to uh, let a couple of um, uh, people on the screen here. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, all right here. Father Joseph Larisi uh, is a good friend of mine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we were in the seminary together uh, back in the day uh, while he did two years of philosophy at Immaculate Conception Seminary uh, at Seton Hall University. And then, uh, and rightly so, he was sent by our archbishop at the time, uh, John J. Myers, uh, to Rome uh, to study uh, in Rome up until his uh, ordination. So, uh, Father Joe, uh, thank you very much for being on A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess. Thank you, Father Hulis. It's, it's an honor to, to be with you and your, your guests. I, I'm very edified by what the other guests have said. It, you know, Benedict really lives, leaves us such a beautiful legacy. And, uh, you know, you invited me to reflect a little bit about Benedict and science. Uh, you know, that's one of my main interests, theology and science. And uh, your request, I think, is quite providential because in his last words, his spiritual testament, Benedict gets into science. And I'll just read a small excerpt. He, he tells the people that are reading his last testament, 
Stand firm in the faith. Do not be confused. Often it seems as if science, on the one hand, the natural sciences, on the other hand, historical research, has irrefutable insights to offer that are contrary to the Catholic faith. I have witnessed from long times past the changes in natural science and have seen how apparent certainties against the faith vanished, proving themselves not to be science, but philosophical interpretations only apparently belonging to science. Just as, moreover, it is in dialogue with the natural sciences that faith has learned to understand the limits of the scope of its affirmations and thus its own specificity. So th this was on his mind even at the end of his life, uh, composing his last spiritual testament. You know, um, we used to have a great professor here at Seton Hall who's gone back to God, Father Stanley Yaki, I think one of the greatest thinkers in this theology and science faith, the space. And uh, Father Yaki wrote a book in 1986 on Chesterton, and he called Chesterton a seer of science. Chesterton was not a scientist. He was not trained in the sciences, but he had tremendous intuitions about the philosophy of science and a proper understanding of them in relation to other disciplines. And I, I if I could borrow that expression from Father Yaki, seer of science, I'd like to apply that to Benedict. I think even though he was not formally a scientist, he reflected deeply on the philosophy of science and the relationship of science and theology and has left a tremendous legacy in that space. One of the, I think the greatest examples is in his Regenberg, Regensburg lecture in, in 2006, and he's addressing the faculty of science and he's talking about a, a a proper understanding of faith and reason, of science and religion. Uh, and th there's so much there. And it's it's unfortunate that the media um, picked up on the interreligious dialogue part, the interfaith, um, intercultural dialogue. Uh, he was also engaging the dialogue with the Muslims. And they focused exclusively on that. But really, I think the meat of it is is really the engagement with science. So I, I hope in, in the years to come, people will reflect more on that and, and his, his great insights, both as, uh, as a priest and cardinal and then later as the Holy Father. That was absolutely beautiful, uh, Father Joe, Father Laracy. And, you know, I apologize that I, I did not um, read your bio in the beginning. Um, I mean, I know, you know, Father is obviously the, uh, the most important thing here. Did, did you send me one? Uh, Anyway, uh, Father Joe, you are currently, uh, <laughs> Bob's laughing here right now, uh, you are a professor uh, at Seton Hall University, and, and what exactly are you teaching right now? So in, in the spring, I'll be teaching uh, three courses. I'll have a church history course, uh, modern church history, 1500 to the present. Uh, I'll have a, a theology elective, which places Catholic theological anthropology into dialogue with the logotherapeutic perspective of Viktor Frankl, the Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist. And then I'll also be teaching a course for the math department in linear algebra and differential equations. Unbelievable. So, Unbelievable. And you just published the book. You're, you, what was the, the, what's the, the name of the book that you published and how could we uh, have people? There you go. I, yes, there <laughs> it is. Amen, buddy. Theology and Science and the Thought of Ian Barber. Um, and and th this reflects a lot of my own thinking on, on this space, 
drawing on Benedict and, and others. Ian Barber was uh, a very, very significant Protestant theologian. Uh, and so I, I kind of have a, essentially a conversation with him from the Catholic to mystic perspective, which is certainly the perspective Benedict was, was coming from in his own engagement. And, and Joe, I, I Father Larissa, that is, I apologize, but uh, and I don't mean to um, to embarrass you here because I know you're a very humble man. But uh, you know, I, I think it's important when we talk about science and we talk about priesthood. A lot of people think that you know um, people of uh, faith, you know, are against science and all the type of stuff. But before you enter the cemetery, uh, the sem sorry, the seminary, the sem that was not a Freudian slip. That was not a Freudian slip at all. I am a, the chaplain of a Catholic seminary, um, of cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to say, what a, you, you were a student at MIT. You're a graduate of MIT. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And there's something that you worked on person that that is currently in outer space is that correct yeah i, I was privileged to work uh at the in the uh, end phase of the deep impact mission for nasa when we went out and struck com comet temple one and blew a hole in it about the size of a football stadium so that that was very exciting to to be involved in and 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 you know what we have to do an entire episode on how you went from doing that and said you know what I got my degree from MIT. I think I'm going to become a Catholic priest. I, 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 I think people will be so interested. I know we don't have the time for it now, but that is an episode. That's a whole episode, if, if you're willing, Father Larrazee. Thank you. Thank you, Father Horace. Yes. Great, so, great to be with you. Yeah, very. And thank you for your willingness, and thank you for your friendship. And um, you're somebody that I've, I've always looked up to, and I'm not just saying that because you're very tall. But... Uh, <laughs> God bless you, Father Laracy. I apologize for not reading uh, the bio. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. God bless. Thank you so much. All right. Father and Father Joe, feel uh, uh, free to stay the whole time. Okay. I'm going to add a couple people here. We're going to make it interesting right now. Uh, I'm just going to add a, a bunch of people. Now, there's somebody here named Kathy. I have no idea who this is. I'm just going to say that out loud. Um, I have no idea. Hold on a second. Hello, Kathy? Kathy, are you there? Hello? Father Paul, you're a piece of work, man. I don't know who Kathy is. No idea. All right. Hey, this is... <laughs> hopefully this will make people laugh. Okay. So we're going to add some of uh, my friends here. All right. We have... Uh, I'll introduce you one at a time. Hold on a second. It's getting busy in here. <laughs> Father, Father Paul's about to catch up. Is anybody? I know this is. Hey, I was so scared I was going to have nobody. All right. Now, hey, there we go. Yeah. Amen. All right. So now, I'm not, hey, Monsignor. Okay. So, everybody, here we go. Woo. All right. So, I introduced Tim already. We have Father Laracy still with us. I introduced. Uh, uh, Uncle Matt Laracy. I'm not sure what happened to him before, but welcome back. Uh, now, introducing to you for the first time, I'll just introduce you, uh, and then I'll ask you to give your thoughts. Uh, we have uh, Jeanette Clark, who is with us. Um, well, hello, uh, Jeanette. She's a very hello, good friend hello. of mine. 
She's also one of the, uh, she's on staff, one of the professors uh, at the Theology of the Body Institute, currently teaching love and responsibility. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to come right back to you. I asked for all your bios and I don't have them in front of me, so you could just add up. Um, Brian Pedraza. Brian, forgive me. Do you have your doctorate? You're a doctor, aren't you? Um, Yep. I'm a doctor in its original sense. Yeah, you're a doc in its original sense. What are you a doctor in? Welcome, yeah, Brian Pedraza, yeah, yeah. to a whole that beard, Father Paul. You think that beard doesn't tell you he's a doctor? Yeah, yeah. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah you, ne- you never put that you're a doctor when you're boarding a plane because they you don't want me to be trying to do CPR or anything like that. But, you know, yeah. doctor actually means teacher. So there you go. And where are you? Are you, are you teaching right now? Yeah, that's right. I'm at Franciscan Missionaries of Our Lady University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. All right. Well, welcome. We'll, and we'll come right back to you. Uh, we got uh, Sam Shea. Sam, uh, you're a, a doctor in uh, friendship. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Sam, welcome. Uh, Sam Shea, you're a good old friend of mine. Uh, tell everybody uh, what you're currently doing. You just got a huge, big new job and you even moved for it. Yeah, I'm down in Baltimore. I'm at the Institute of Evangelization, and so I'm a parish renewal specialist. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing down here. Something akin to what we're doing, because it's kind of novel, is um, is up in Chicago. They've got people doing the same kind of work. Basically, uh, what we're trying to do is work with parishes to help them develop evangelization plans. Um, and they have, I think, Bishop Cousins is doing something like that out with Deacon Mark. Um, he's got an evangelization team. So, yeah, just evangelization work, doing our best. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the show. We'll get right back to As a matter of fact, I just remembered right now that Brian is on a very short time span. So I just introduced Monsignor Paul Bocchicchio. Uh, he, he's not new to this. I mean, he is technically new to the show, but I've talked about him many times, and we're going to have a, a – um, so welcome, Monsignor Paul. Thank you. Priest of the Archdiocese of Newark. Just going real real quick, back to Brian. I apologize. I know you have uh, friends over for dinner. Um, yeah. I don't know how I, long I told, you've been on. I'm, I'm allowed to be rude, but not too rude. All right. <laughs> well, I think I've been having you be too rude. So, uh, Brian, thank you. Thank you for coming on a holiness with his holiness. And what are your thoughts on the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI? Well, it's a pleasure to be on with you, your holy mess. And, <laughs> I am uh, the, great, well, great. you'll always know me as Deacon Wizzy. <laughs> that's that's a whole other story uh and great to see some familiar faces too tim mi hermano sammy great to see you man there's uh some really good good guys you got here um and pleased to meet your acquaintance jeanette and monsignor paul as well yeah you. i you know i was racking my brain about what to say about pope benedict but one of the main things that i would say about him is he's one of the few theologians that i let into my prayer time very few i should say right because uh, during my own personal prayer and, of course, contemplation of the Word of God, meditation on the Word of God is really essential to the vocation of being a theologian. Um, I'm pretty guarded about what I'm bringing into that space. Uh, but there are times where I've just gone through his writings and it just, I just felt the Lord calling. Like, I need to pray with this. This is this is more than just some sort of academic pursuit. You know, it, it's something that is uh, feeding my head and my heart at the same time. And that's a treasure um, to know that there was a man with such a grand intellect, you know, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century um, easily. And he really sought the face of Christ. You know, he, 
he wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to be close to the Sacred Heart. He wanted people to see that God has a face, um, like the prophets longed for, for ages, to see God. You know, Moses wanted to see God, and God has a face in Jesus. And Pope Benedict wanted to seek that face and wanted to show people. I mean, it, how else could you explain a pope coming out with three books on Jesus of Nazareth that were non papal magisterium, right? Like that's that's a man who's driven, you know, with a passion for our Lord. So, I mean, if I were going to say anything, I'd probably lead off with that, but I've been influenced just, you know, theologically by his understanding of the human person and the role of relationship and communion. Um, without getting into the technicalities of all that stuff, I actually thought, let me, let me just say this, Father, if you'll allow me, there's this one, I, I was finishing the end of my book um, that I published you, a couple of years ago. You authored a book ago. too. I, I authored a book. Don't I worry bet. about it. It's a nice paperweight and a cure for insomnia. If you you know need that sort of a thing. Okay. It's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's called Catechesis for the New Evangelization. But don't let the title fool you. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, a little academic. Yes, so like I, I warn people. You know, I warn Brian, people. Brian. Brian is the associate professor of theology at Franciscan Missionaries of Our Lady University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and is the author of Catechesis for the New Evangelization, Vatican II, John Paul II, and the Unity of Revelation and Experience. Oh, you found Maybe. my bio. Nice work. I just nice found work, it. Man. That's great. <laughs> but as, as I was uh, doing a little research for the last chapter, I stumbled upon this homily from Pope Benedict. This was 2010, a Palm Sunday homily. And he just, it's so patristic in the way that he preaches about this, but he just takes this one line from the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 19, where Luke says, Jesus went on ahead going to Jerusalem. That's the one line. He went up to Jerusalem. That's the thing that Pope Benedict is going to chew on. And the next thing, as, as he's going on in the homily, he talks about Jesus' starting place, Jericho, and how many meters below sea level it is. Then he talks about Jerusalem and how many meters above sea level. That's an ascent. In other words, the journey that Jesus was undertaking to get to Jerusalem, it's an ascent, which then leads him into this vision of our Lord, the mountaineer, who's ascending the mountain and he says that all of us in the church are a roped party. So imagine, you know, the climbers who are all attached to one another. And we're all ascending this mountain together with our Lord to get to Jerusalem. And that vision of the church as a communion with Christ as the head and all of us attached to one another, we affect one another. Could you imagine like climbing together and we're all roped together? So that means... Like, if I decide to give up, I'm just dead weight, and I'm affecting you, and you've got to climb harder, and Tim's got to climb harder, and Jeanette's got to climb harder. The more that I'm with it, and the more that I'm climbing, and we're all working together, the more that we ascend, you know, more easily together. So, like, the weight of our sins, and, you know, I can imagine stuffing my pockets with rocks and all of these heavy things that I refuse to let go of, that sort of weigh down the body. But when it's all said and done, Christ is at the lead. You know, Christ is the one who is really helping us to ascend this mountain. And all of this is just packed into this one homily based off of one line in the Gospel of Luke for Palm Sunday. And as I read it, I was 
or you know like my heart was ready to burst it was like time to go pray like i i was doing this for research but i need to stop in this moment and i really need to take in what the lord is trying to tell me through benedict's words and that's the only that's the sort of thing you only get from a man who really loved our lord and sought after him with you know all of the amazing gifts of his intellect so that's what i just wanted to throw out there for you father paul i don't know chew on that man what do you got what do you got for me i i have an invitation to do an entire podcast episode with you that's what i got for you (laughs) that was deep dude that was serious stuff i mean (laughs) that's not me you know yeah thank you thank you lord for the gift of pope benedict and everything that he did thank you for for your witness thank you for the gift that you are and uh thank you for sharing that uh beautiful uh testimony here on uh, on this podcast brian i'm very grateful um please uh, continue to have a, a great dinner and thank your guests for uh for being rude uh to come on to this podcast <laughs> and share your thoughts on this this uh late great quote uh and no one can uh, rock the red shoes like he did by the way so i'll just throw that out there all right y'all. Amen, dude we didn't even get into that stuff yet absolutely God bless I'm you. I'm learning guys. a lot. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Peace. Powerful. All right. <clears throat> so my friend Jeanette Clark, she's like, you know who I am. Um, <laughs> but uh she has a, a master's degree, MTS from the John Paul II Institute in Washington, uh DC. I don't you said you'll yeah. try to find a bio, but I don't see it. So, but she is it. also what's that? I said I didn't send it. Okay, cool, cool. But she's also one of my favorite people ever, and her family is one of my favorite people, and it might, one of my favorite getaways to go and hang out with the Clarks, uh, married to uh, Jason Clark, who is the uh, executive director of the Theology of the Body Institute, and also the mother to five awesome children. Jeanette Clark, welcome to the show. They are awesome. I just got, because I was preparing for this, my daughter drew me a special picture to keep me going. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah so oh, that's sweet. awesome, Catherine. That's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the Catherine that was on this thing, right? No. All right. So. No. Shouldn't <clears throat> think. Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pleasure to be here. Really. Thank you. So what are your thoughts about B16, Pope Benedict? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love him for so many reasons. But I will say once I was at the piazza and I saw him walking across on his, he used to do it every day during lunch. And I saw him going across. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's Ratzinger. He was just Ratzinger, you know, then CDF. Um, and I, being with my personality, would never approach him, ever. I would never approach a famous person because I need them to have their privacy. But now that I hear how nice he was to all of the students who did that, I'm kicking myself. Like, he used to have lunch with them and invite them to private masses with the Holy Father and all sorts of things. So I just looked at him from afar. But wow. really, I think my first um, who is this guy kind of moment with him was when I was at the Institute, because I had very little, very little theology before I started at the Institute. I mean, I went to Catholic school for, you know, like 10 years, but going to the Institute was um, rocked my world. The very first book that they gave us was was um Albacetti gave us was Introduction to Christianity. Oh, and it was wow. in reading that and, and just breaking that open with Lorenzo Albacetti, with Monsignor, and Dr. Schindler, where, where this guy was talking about 
the entire cosmos was different because Christ became man. Like everything is different. God is God has changed the fabric of every atom is different. And it blew my mind so much because that's not what religion was to me. It, it was, you know, very, let's learn about the rules. I want to know, you know, the catechism. I want to know, um, you know, I want to know the things. And he said, no, everything is different. And breaking open Ratzinger, he, he, it's, it's very simple. He, he is, his theology is very simple. Christ became man, and that has changed everything. Has changed everything. Time itself is different. Um, our our walk with the Lord is not something we do on Sundays. It's it's who we are, and in knowing Him more through his, all of His writings, it's this progress. He, he's such a, a prophet who brings us from slowly, slowly, and gently, tenderly, from our little tiny egos through up this mountain, like your last guest was saying, with Christ, up this mountain of transfiguration, so that we, through our life, become one with Christ's ego. So our little I am becomes part of Christ's great I am. And we are in that communion, that communion personarum with, with, with the Trinity, you know, and, and we're all called to be part of that. And that religion isn't just something that you know, we do, we have to do. It's the, it's the very essence of what it means to be a human person is to be religious, to, to be connected to the God who created us and didn't just create us, but is creating us now. He is right now holding us in existence. And, and that's, that's what um, Ratzinger has done for me, is just changed my very idea of what time is, of what it means to be human, about the fabric of life and and the goal of life. He read some. He said something recently that, um, or that I read recently, and it was, uh, you know, with our preoccupation with everything being efficient, and having five kids, and I'm a homeschooling mom of five kids, that like I, my bread and butter is efficiency. Um, and he said efficiency begins with communion with the Lord. Like that's the bottom line of, of efficiency. It begins with communion with the Lord because you can't create anything apart from that communion. And, and, and that's what I mean. Like he changes, like he's changed my whole understanding about the fabric of what it means to be human. We in our Western American minds want to hold and create and produce and he's saying the most efficient, productive you can thing that you can do is to be in communion with the Lord. Wow. <laughs> Amen. It, yeah. it reminds me of, uh, of something that I was reading about him a couple of years ago when I was on break from the seminary. And, you know, he, he talked about, ben this is Benedict, of, of a fear of us surrendering everything to the Lord yeah. um, that if we did that, then we would, we would lose something of life that if we were to surrender everything and he said, no, 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 no. Like in the total surrender, like in the, in the giving of everything to the, to the Trinity, we, 
we gain everything. Everything. We gain everything, everything, everything. And so he said it, it's when we, I believe the words he even used, when we get lost in God, we are completely found, if that makes mm. sense. So I, I don't know what it was specifically about that beautiful, um, those beautiful comments that you just said that made me think about that. But I remember reading that one night, laying in bed, and like, yeah, yeah, this, this, mm -hmm. this, this is everything. He was just so <clears throat> spiritual. Excuse me, <clears throat> spiritual and to the point. So uh, yeah. thank you for that. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that you that you came on here. And I know I say this to every guest, but I've been telling you from the beginning that I, I know I want to have you on for a, a full episode. So Jeanette Clark, uh, thank you for, for being here. And I, I know we'll My pleasure. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for that. They're absolutely beautiful. Is there anything that we could uh, plug for you or mention for you at all? Oh, you want my husband, the, he's the director of, at the Institute there John, at the Theology of the Body Institute. He said, make sure you tell him that there's a cruise. So, Father, you tell him about the cruise this this uh, October that uh, I that will. I might love I might, for I, everyone to go on. Amen. Absolutely. Yes, there's I have the details in front of me right now, but there is a theology of the body river cruise where the entire yeah. ship is just for the members of the theology of the body institute and it's a it's a river cruise in france um yeah. and it's uh not really members you don't have to be a member you know you just just come just come yeah it's the theology of the body institute is putting on and it's it's what following the little way of uh of saint yeah, therese and going to a bunch france. of the different Right. holy sites and, and there's a, an extension to lords if you want to do that and right. and uh, you're so going your going to be there i'm going to be there yes christopher west when wendy west jason clark jeanette clark and many yeah. many more so uh check that out you could f uh, find that at uh go to the theology of the body institute tob institute.org correct yeah i'm sure it's there Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome well i'm not sure what happened to uh uh uncle matt i i'm trying to get in touch with him but um thank you uh for everybody so uh my friend tim has been here from the absolute uh beginning uh so uh my man tim tim hanley uh has been a friend of mine since um my junior year definitely my senior year of high school you were both went to Paramus catholic high school and we're both deeply influenced uh at Paramus catholic by a young man named justin fatica who you might now know from hard as nails ministries but he was just a campus minister uh roaming around the halls and trying to get us to go to uh wednesday night prayer and uh since then uh tim and i have become uh great friends and um tim is a uh uh, he was with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal for a while. He's a graduate of uh, Cornell University, and now he is a the husband of Raquel and the father of five children. So, Tim Hanley, welcome to A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess. Thanks, Father Paul. Thanks for having me on, man. It's a pleasure to be here with you and uh, and the crew. Thanks for being a thanks for being a great supporter of uh, of the of the podcast, and thanks for hanging in uh, <clears throat> from the very beginning. Um, I love Podcast is fun, man. You, you've had you've had some great episodes, so that's awesome. I might have messed up with this one with having like twenty thousand people on, but hey, at least I'm learning you know, from the, it. The, the problem is, man, you got so many great guests on tonight with so much just beautiful conversation that, like, you could, as you have said numerous times already, you could have full podcasts 
with yeah. every single person on every topic that's been opened up even you know yeah I, and i've been trying to not engage because i know of, of how many you know i've been trying to <clears throat> there's so many things i want to say not engaging father i must say i'm, I'm impressed Thank you. Well, because I know, look, man, it's already uh, an hour and 16 minutes in and we still have a couple more people to go. So uh, so what are your thoughts on 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 as you said, I'm going to quote you exactly as you uh, as you uh, I won't say where you said this, but you were talking one time and you you quoted Pope Benedict. You said, you know, B-16, the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> I just found that so funny, man. I remember when you know when when um back I, I want to say so I remember when Pope Benedict uh, was announced as as uh, the Holy Father. I was with Brian Pedraza, Doctor Pedraza, who was just on, and it was it was such a exciting time for the church, you know, and. Um, I remember listening to Father Stan Fortuna, like a, maybe a, a year or two after he was preaching. And he's like, he said something along the lines of like, quote, quoting Pope Benedict. He's like, that's the B-16 bomber, yo. That's the B-16 bomber dropping bombs. And <laughs> sure enough, he, uh, he was, uh, I mean, F Father Stan always had a way with, you know, digging into pulling out the nuggets of, of the writings of, of the Holy Father John Paul II, and then the continuation with the, the, the papacy of, of, uh, of Pope Benedict. Um, yeah, man. So now, uh, when you, uh, you were nodding your head a lot, um, about three hours ago when this podcast originally started, when, uh, somebody was talking about, Going uh, when they were in Germany, Mike Mangione, when he said that uh, that he was at uh, at Cologne, I think it was when he proposed to yeah. his wife. You said you were there, and I do remember you uh, going on uh, that trip and uh, coming back and just, you know, can you speak to that at all? What that was like because that was his first uh, World Youth Day as the Pope. Uh, yeah. he just became Pope that year, and uh, yeah, and it was an incredible. It was an incredible occasion that 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 World Youth Day. Um, you know, that was the, I, I never had the experience of, of having met John Paul II. Um, and so that was my, that was my first World Youth Day was in, uh, in Cologne, Germany. And I remember the feeling, you know, like of, of the crowd of people mobbed in the streets waiting for Pope Benedict to come down like the street, like uh, on his entrance into Cologne. And it was just a mob of people waiting all day long from the, from like sunrise, you know, and Pope Benedict, I, I, you know, he just like drove past in the Pope mobile, just like, and it was just, you know, come and gone within like within seconds. But there was so much energy around that moment. And, um, and it was, it was an exciting thing to be a part of that. To, to witness the, to witness the church alive, you know, um, and, and to, to see the, the, all of these children, these spiritual children of the, of the Holy Father, um, and the excitement that was, that was in the air at, at his coming and, uh, and his, his arrival, you know, and that was his, that was his first 
first World Youth Day. It was my first World Youth Day. And um, and it was it was uh, and apparently it was Mike's uh, Mike's engagement. His wife. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, it, <clears throat> well, I was going to say something that I, I, I don't uh, and you're going to I think you're going to hang on for a little bit. So just get back to you. Uncle Uncle Matt. I just want Uncle Matt Laris. He was uh, on. He just came back real quick. Uno momento, por favor. Uh, Uncle Matt, welcome back to the podcast. I'm sorry that you were kicked off before. I truly apologize about that. Thank you. Thank you, Father Paul. Yeah, I think there was technical difficulties. Technical thank difficulties. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Uncle Matt, uh, it says here, I, I love how humble you are, your bio. You're a longtime amateur student, <laughs> amateur student of the theology of Pope Benedict and the communal school. You are father of seven, grandfather of 26, director of residence for low-income women, friend of his holy mess. Thank you so much. That, that, was, that was the bio you gave me, friend of his holy mess. Yes. And uh, what is the, 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 the name of um, uh, the, the, the house? I always get confused now. It's Mary's home, right? There's uh, mercy. Well, no, it's, it's Magnificat Home. That's what it is, Magnificat Mag- Home. Magnificat I apologize. Home. That's in Jersey City, yes. Yes, amen. God bless you. You're, and as many people, as, as I've been told by some people, a saint. Uh, but we won't get into that right now. So, <laughs> uh, but I thought it was very important to have you on here, uh, Uncle Matt. I call him Uncle Matt because he's uh, Joe Aracy's uncle and my uh, good friend uh, Danny Peterson's uncle. And uh, so I've just always known him as Uncle Matt. Um, but listen, you're, 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 it's funny because, you know, from external standards, right? You're a, a layman, father of seven, grandfather of 26. I believe you work for UPS, right? Am I correct with that? That's right. Yes. Okay. And yet you are in a brilliant theologian. You have a, a blog, <laughs> like, I, I think so. I mean, you're very much into this, you know, the, who uses the words communio, um, you know, uh, so uh, unless you're really into theology, it, it's somebody that I've always seen. And that's, I wanted you on here because, you know, uh, well, a lot of my friends here are married and have regular jobs and are really into theology and stuff. But I thought of you just because you're so passionate about it, you know, and a lot of people think that you have to be like a cleric or a nun or to be into philosophy or theology. And, you know, you're somebody you're like a, an everyday man who uh, I, I could really relate to um, and somebody I've always looked up to. Uh, but you're so passionate about theology in the church, and I know you love Pope Benedict. So, what are, what are your thoughts on on Pope Benedict, Uncle Matt? Well, let me just say this: um, he he is the epitome of the communal theologian. Um, Hans Urs von Balthasar, his 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 very close friend and collaborator, he wrote a very important essay. It was called Sanctity and Theology, and that changed my whole view of theology. And what he basically said was. Good theology flows from sanctity of life. Uh, they call it um, theology, kneeling theology, worship. And the first 12, 1300 years of the church, most of the great theologians were themselves saints, bishops, uh, martyrs, and so forth. And then, and, and then academic theology sort of split off. And uh, I just want to say that I think there's three things that makes him... Um, probably the greatest Catholic theologian of the 20th century. Wow. Although I, I would have him share that with John Paul and Von um, Balthazar, and I think he would agree. But, and one of the, do- like earlier discussion was the doctor of the church. 
the doctors were all doctors who says they were brilliant and they were holy and the community got. So there's three things I think that made, first of all, his faith and his testament that, that Father Joe read, his testament, um, the earlier part, he just talks about his mother and father, his brothers and sisters, Bavaria, the beauty of his country. It's a very simple faith in a way, nothing extraordinary, no great conversions, no drama, very low drama, kind of um, kind of mundane, but but deeply, it's, it's, it's just like, it's the air he breathed and he's a holy, holy man. Number two, his erudition is extraordinary. His what? Um, his erudition, his study. Okay. His, I don't know big knowledge. words like that. So Erudition, yes. E-R-U-D-I-T-I-O-N. Uh, <laughs> uh, so his, I remember uh, a, a great German philosopher, Joseph Pfeiffer, once wrote about St. Thomas Aquinas, that he was not an innovator. He was not original. He didn't introduce some new theory, but he knew the entirety of the tradition. Thomas knew all the ancients, and he knew the scriptures, and he knew the church. Now, Joseph Ratzinger knows contemporary culture, literature, philosophy, everything, scripture studies, historical studies. He knew the patristics. He knew the Bible. Um, when von Balthasar died, he was probably the most erudite, knowledgeable man in the world. I'm going to say the world. Um, his knowledge is incomparable, but the third thing is, so you've got study and you've got holiness, but the thing that made him special, top of the list, absolutely number one theologian, his, it, it was mentioned, it was mentioned like uh, the, the, your friend, your young friend who said, you know, he invites him into his, his, his prayer. He had this incredible ability to express clearly, utter clarity, inspirational thoughts so i mean you read 10 words from him and you got to stop reading and pray you got it and very few people have that uh like romano gordini had it i think john newman had it augustine saint augustine but uh, but those are the three pillars i think that make him a extraordinary uh, his holiness his erudition and learning and his unusual ability to express clearly plainly but beautifully Right, like you spoke about beauty, the discussion about beauty. But I'll leave it at that. No, thank you. That was absolutely that was powerful, passionate, and absolutely aerodynamically beautiful. <laughs> you're great. <laughs> no, you're the best, Uncle Matt. Thank you very much. Okay, hey, do you, you want to plug anything or promote anything at all? Uh, maybe your blog. Oh well, I don't really want to plug anything. I have a all right, no problem. But but um, but thank you for the opportunity. Thanks. Thank you, thank you for being here. I uh, love you and talk to you soon. Okay, Monsignor Paul Bocchicchio. Uh, yes. Monsignor Paul. Uh, yes. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah. All right. Good to see you here. Now I know that I know you, uh, but I, I, I want to just say here, uh, 51 years ordained a priest for the archdiocese of Newark served as parochial vicar of our lady of Jer uh, our lady of mercy, Jersey city, immaculate conception, Montclair pastor of Holy Rosary in Jersey city, our lady of Mount Virgin in Garfield, Holy family in Nutley campus minister at Roselle Catholic Roselle Seton hall in Roselle Seton hall university was a vocation director Vicar for, for per priest personnel, 
uh, chaplain of Our Lady of Fatima, First Saturday Apostolate, vice president of the National Federation of Priest Councils. And you are, most importantly, of all those titles, the Godfather. <laughs> now, that's what I've affectionately called you uh, all these years. Now, you're not technically my actual Godfather, but you are the Godfather, and I am the Godson. Monsignor Paul Bukikio was my pastor of my parish, my childhood parish uh, in my teenage years. And honest to God, I don't know where I would be without him. Uh, it is uh, because of his uh, priesthood that I know the fatherly love of God and the mercy of Christ and one of the main reasons why I'm a Catholic priest today. So uh, I know we're going to have you back on for a, a whole other episode, but welcome uh, to A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess. And please share your thoughts on the life and legacy of Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. Well, many years ago as a seminarian, I remember um, in during the Vatican Council coming across a quote, and it impressed me. And the quote said, one only criticized what one loves. And it was Joseph Ratzinger, who I think, you know, in, in many different moments in his life, you know, had a very critical view of the church. You know, I think at one point he might have been considered a liberal theologian among the other German theologians. And at a certain point um, in the Vatican Council, when he saw the, the aftermath of the council and thought that maybe some theologians were going too far, he kind of, you know, it struck me how, how humble he was that his intellect did not take center stage. His fidelity to the church took center stage. And I think it was consistent from that point on. Even when he, you know, had a very difficult job, you know, defending the faith, as it were, and he was criticized so many times, he, he loved the church. And he was also realistic about the church. And uh, and that I admired about him. I also admire that when he became the Pope, it, it always strikes me that we get the Pope we need for that particular moment in time. And, you know, the Holy Spirit acted, and I think has acted in every conclave, particularly uh, not only acted in this century, in this century and a half, but I think the men who have embraced the office have also responded, you know, with all the gifts they've had. I think he's insightful. Uh, his intellect was certainly unquestionable. But I, what I liked is that his writings were very readable. You know, he was very down to earth. If you read some of his books, I think he was criticized for the statements that he made, but I think he was on the money. Uh, my own personal opinion is that he was criticized when he talked about the sexual abuse crisis as being related to the sexual revolution. And there are many who wrote him off as a result of that. But I think he had that insight because he was a man of faith and a man who could read the signs of the times. Um, some criticized him because he said that we're going to be part of a much smaller church. But I think, you know, that's kind of playing out that maybe we need to be a smaller church before we can be a bigger church again. I think his stand on relativism, the tyranny of relativism, certainly underscored what's happening in our world today. You know, and I think he, he again, he had the insight, not only as an intellect, but as a man of faith, you know, to be able to combine his faith with his intellect and uh, provide the kind of insight that guided the church 
you know, especially when he was at the helm. Um, I think he was a man of balance. Uh, I think he, I think his loyalty to the church was unquestionable. And yet I'll go back to his original quote that one only criticizes what one loves. I think that he was, he's been critical of the church at any stage of his life is because of his deep love for the church. And that's what I take from uh, my understanding and my um, view of uh, the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI. Very, very, very beautifully said. Uh, very powerfully said. I know I keep saying that. That, <laughs> that everybody keeps talking, um, but uh, but yeah, that I, I never really heard it said that way before. I have actually not, have not heard of that quote that you criticize um, what you love. And uh, I know there is a lot of misunderstanding, and you know, and there are there are some things that needs to be criticized, I guess, when it comes to the. To the church and um some you know light to be cast upon certain darknesses and somebody but yeah i mean 100 a man who deeply deeply loved the church um i remember uh reading something that he wrote you know because he had a great desire to become an academic and uh, but he knew that he was becoming a priest and although he had desired very much that you know he would want to teach he knew at the you know before he was getting ordained at the moment of ordination like he was giving his life to the church in any which way that the church saw fit although he wanted very much to use his interest and his gifts in the uh, the the realm of academia when he laid down on the 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 uh, the altar in the sanctuary on the day of his ordination he was giving his life to do anything that the church asked him to do, to making a promise of respect and obedience, and whether that meant of, of being a, a a parish priest in some small country parish that nobody has ever heard of, he was still willing to do that, uh, even though he personally want you know. So I'll never forget that, and that was very helpful for uh, my own discernment. And of course, obviously, God did you know the church did ask him to use his gifts in the realm of academia but he was still very obedient because we know for many 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 years he wanted to retire and he asked john paul ii a couple of times to let him retire and he wanted to go back to germany and the the basically john paul ii said no i i, I want you to stay i need you here with me in rome as the head of the congregation for the doctrine of faith and and he was obedient you know so who knows? Maybe that's maybe he had the final say when he eventually did retire uh, in 2013. You know, which hasn't been brought up once, and you know, I don't want to start a whole thing on it now. But I mean, I, I, it should be mentioned he's the first pope in about 600 years that that 700 years. Thank you, uh, Father Bob, uh, that that did retire, and I know that caused some people like that he did that and some people did not like what he did that and again not to get into a whole conversation about that now but he felt like uh whether you know who, whatever i mean he had the right he's the pope you know right so but he felt like he was being obedient to the spirit right who's a pope obedient to right because we're you know the the the, the priest is obedient to the bishop the bishop is obedient to the pope and the, the Pope has to be obedient to, to to the Spirit of God, to God. So, And he felt like that's, you know, whatever. So anyway, uh, Monsignor Paul, thank you for sharing those thoughts. And thank you for being a, a great friend and a great uh, uh, holy priest. And um, and for a man who, who truly loves the church, truly loves the church. So thank you for that. 
um, my friend uh, Sam Shea. Um, he, uh, I know you emailed me. Lord have mercy. so i know but we introduced you already so yeah yeah. uh yeah so uh but i i'll tell you though we were talking about uh fight club a little bit earlier fight club was a well i didn't specifically say the word (laughs) fight club but it was uh when i was talking about brian of he was one of the roots that kept me catholic in the very beginning when i was having a lot of questions and don't under i don't want to underestimate the role that you played in those meetings especially when i had like so many questions about mary and and you were hugely instrumental in in helping me understand uh the theology of the church and especially mariology but here we're here t- tonight to talk about pope benedict the 16th so your thoughts sam shay sammy no i'm not gonna do it <laughs> yeah. father paul it's uh w- uh what a gift to uh to be on here, uh, listening to everybody, um, just want to piggyback on a few things that that were mentioned, you know, with uh, Monsignor Bokiko as well. So hello to Monsignor and and Tim, um, uh, Mr. Laracy. It'd be great to meet you one day and get to know you. Um, but you know, I, I, when it comes to Benedict, I find it so interesting, right? That that um, Benedict is simultaneously cited as someone who deluded and may have destroyed the church through his work with Vatican II. And at the same time, there will be others who will say that um, that he brought the church back into the dark ages with his work as the prefect for the CDF and, you know, and, um, and his papacy. So it's so interesting, you know, to me that, that he, that, that would come out like those things and, and people would see him um, so polarizingly um, at two different spectrums, you know, of our faith. And a lot of work that I do is in, is evangelization, right? I'm, I'm looking for how, how do we um, engage people with Jesus? How, how do we bring that encounter? And in truth, what turned me on to uh, Benedict was actually, if you remember, uh, Nevedita Toth, um, Serena Vasa. So she had introduced me to the a popular notion at the time, and it was mentioned here, uh, in other words, but that John Paul II was a philosopher, and in Benedict you had a teacher, right? An academic, you had a teacher, and um, but interestingly enough, what cemented that for me was, and and the same thing for actually John Paul was reading their encyclicals. It was Veritatis Splendor, right? The splendor of truth that really got me engaged in in uh, John Paul, and it was uh, God is Love, Deus Caritas S. That really, I read this, and I was like, "What the? Heck? I just stopped. I I was a few sentences into it, and just as what um, Mr. Laracy said, what um, what others have said, I stopped. It was just remarkable, and so you hear things about these guys, but then when you read them. Then, then you get to understand, you know, and so at you know at the Institute for Evangelization, you know, for the Archdiocese, um, that opening to me of of God is love is at the heart of evangelization, where he says being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. I mean. I, <laughs> I just stopped, and you know, and for, so for me, evangelization right there it was it was not a what but a who, you know. I, I was speaking to a pastor yesterday, and and about the day's reading, and he talks about how Andrew and the disciples were, how how they were called to Jesus, right? But Andrew and this other disciple, 
were so attentive to John and the Spirit that what they heard from John's voice had them move towards Jesus. And it's Jesus who encounters them in their curiosity. And what does he say? He says, right? He, he asked them, what are you looking for? And the answer was not a what, but a who, because Andrew attests, we have found the Messiah. Right? And, and so, you know, and I, I think of that, and, and I, I picture it in, in, even in my own life when I think about the encounter, when I think about my life as like a comet circling the vastness of space, right? And then you have that impact, that encounter, and suddenly the trajectory is different. Suddenly I am ablaze and I, I have a direction, you know, and, um, and, and there's actually a, a great clip. Uh, he's not a theologian, but Jordan Peterson talks about truth. And there's this one great clip from his lecture series where he's talking about who dares say he believes in God. And he says, um, he basically in, in puts to words, you know, what I, what I felt when I read Benedict. And he says, the pathway to who you could be if you were completely who you were is through the truth. And so the truth does set you free, but the problem is that it destroys everything that isn't worthy in you as it sets you free. And that's a process of burning. And my goodness, I was just like, I, when, when he said that, I'm thinking, right, I'm going right back to Benedict and that encounter. Right, and he says that the the pain and it's it, the reason it's painful is because we cling to, you know, the things that uh, in our lives that are partly out of pride, partly out of ignorance, partly out of just laziness, you know. But it's when I what what so many, oftentimes that quote right for, from Benedict, people will end with that direction, but. The second line to that is St. John's Gospel describes that event in these words. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. You know, and for me, I, we've heard John 3.16 a million times. We've seen him at, at so many sporting events, right? And that never took root in my heart. Like, I was just like, oh, that's great. I, I believe it, you know. But after reading it in the context of God is love, it planted a seed. It, it like ripped open and throughout the years, so not in the day, but throughout the years, that verse revealed itself to me. And now that verse is like, it's huge. It, it's, it's, evangel it's the reason I evangelize. And then the corollary or the bookend of that verse is, is Romans 8.5. We have a reason now because in Romans 8.5 it says, God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, and for me that's so humbling, right? Like that's, that's so humbling. And when I think of Bendix's papacy and, and what, what you know, Monsignor Brochico talked about just a moment ago and, and what, um, you know, Matt Lersey was saying, the, the idea that he went with the movement, he humbled himself and went with the movement. What you, even you just talked about, Father Paul. You know, and so when people saw that he resigned and, and, and it was suddenly like his, the greatest like final controversy of his papacy is his resignation. For me, it was just, man, that was like a huge humble act. For, for him to say that, 
it it I'm I'm not I'm not able to do this anymore to to be able to to do this in a way that that would be helpful to the church and but what does he do he, he doesn't stop this is the beauty of it he doesn't stop he enters into deeper prayer so because he recognizes what he can do right and then that's that's part of the resignation is that he resigns himself to a life of prayer for the church and to me that's so beautiful and it's such a character of, of everything that he did he was a disciple who walked in humility amen reminds me <laughs> hold on reminds me of somebody i know you <laughs> a disciple that walks i'm being dead serious a disciple that walks in humility all of a sudden i'm having a hard time hearing myself out of nowhere but uh yeah thank you that was that was absolutely beautiful um, you know, it's funny because now that I think about it, you know, we were a part of a, of a, a group called Fight Club, which was a, um, really a men's group for, you know, young adult men. And that took place, I believe it started, I, I want to say in 2005 when, uh, when Benedict, around when Benedict became Pope. May, no, maybe it was 2004, but it's just interesting because whenever I think of like my formation um, of into Catholicism, uh, and of course, I think of all of you because we were all uh, going to that, and that's when you know Benedict really started to, to come onto the scene. And when I went into the seminary in uh, 2005, uh, he was the Pope. I remember uh, being at the doctor's office when, uh, in the waiting room, when he there was white smoke and he came out onto the balcony and. And I mean, the doctor could have called me in, and I would have, I would have wanted to stay and, and watched it. And I went to the, into the seminary, August two thousand and five, and it was all Benedict, 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 Ratzinger, 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 and all we knew of for so many years was John Paul II. And I was still, you know, like a, a neophyte in my faith, technically. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, his writings. Uh, really blessed me. I mean, very holy. He even wrote a letter to seminarians. I mean, I don't know how many, I don't, I don't know how many popes have written a letter to seminarians, but you know, Benedict did. He wrote a, a letter just to seminarians, and um, it was funny because there was a line in there that he said, "You know, amongst everything, because uh, he, he talked about the academics, right? Of, of course, yes, we, you know, it's a we think that the academics is a big burden. We rather just focus on the spiritual pillar of formation. Of, of course, the human is very important as well, and the pastoral. But he said, but you know, the the academic pillar of priestly formation, the the intellectual pillar, doesn't have to remain purely just in the mind. Like it's meant to lead you to your heart, to relationship with Jesus. You know, there's this very popular meme that's going on right now, and I don't have it in front of me right this second. Actually, I could pull it up in about two seconds. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, about Pope Benedict, 71 years of homilies, innumerable essays, 66 books, three encyclicals, four exhortations, all boiled down to the last four words that he said right before he died. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. 66 books, three encyclicals, four exhortations. I love you, Jesus. 
And that, that's what he was encouraging the seminarians um, to take the intellectual pillar seriously, but so that it could help us in our own personal relationship with Christ and also to help form our future parishioners' uh, relationship with Jesus. So, um, so yeah. So, and uh, Tim, I apologize. I know before I, you were uh, talking and then I in, uh, let Uncle Matt back in who had just left us, but uh, is there anything else that, that you want to say about the Pope or anything about his legacy or anything at all? I have to put you on the spot again, but I'm going to. I mean, no, no reason for apologies, Father. I mean, uh, it's it's a joy to hang with everybody, you know. Um, <clears throat> um, hey, Mita, you don't have like five children running around somewhere. I hope that they're upstairs sleeping at this time, but we'll see. Sam, do you, Sam, do you also have five children? I have uh, four with me, yeah, and then they um, they were totally awake when I was coming in. I, I was I came in from a meeting. So I was carpooling. So I was listening to you on the YouTube got and it. then uh, switched over to here when I got in here. So, yeah, I'm here in my room. Cool. It's amazingly well, quiet. <laughs> I was going to say, Father, one thing I would, I would say that got me thinking when Sam was sharing about, um, about the encyclical Deus Caritas Est, God is love. Um, you know, I had a similar experience to that, Sam, where there was like, there was like a line from that encyclical that I just feel like I, I haven't been able to let go of since since my first encounter with that encyclical. You know, um, it was it was uh, it, it's in paragraph number six, and um, Pope Pope Benedict says, "Love is and is love is love is indeed ecstasy." But not not as a moment of intoxication, but rather as a journey, an ongoing exodus out of the closed inward looking self towards its liberation through self-giving and thus towards authentic self-discovery and indeed discovery of God. So. He, he speaks of love as, as a journey from slavery to freedom. And in walking this journey of, of bondage to freedom, we discover not only who we really are, by give, by, we, we make this journey by giving ourselves away. And in giving ourselves away and walking this journey, we discover who we really are and who God really is. And um, I haven't been able to let go of it, you know? It's like, it's a line that has, has stayed with me. It has stayed with my prayer. It's been um, something that I can return back to for reflection. And even Father Paul, as you like, speak of his, Pope Benedict's final words, you know, it's like, He's he's walked that journey of love, um, and we pray for him now, right? That he is not only has he discovered the Lord in his study, in his prayer, in his life here on earth, but now in uh, in his life after death, um, and call on his intercession that we can walk that same journey. 
Amen. You know, it's amazing to think, you know, we read the the books and and hear the talks and you know, but it's it's it, it like it doesn't end with with death. Like this this man, this very holy man, this pope who someday might be a doctor of the church, someday maybe might be a saint, uh, is now like in the beatific. Well, we believe, right? If we in heaven, which I would hope to believe that he is, like the beatific vision, like everything that he wrote about, everything that he spoke about, its whole fulfillment is please God what he ex is experiencing in its complete totality right now. I believe it was St. Thomas Aquinas who, you know, wrote uh, volume, upon, volume of, upon volume about God who had a beatific vision of the vision of, 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 of heaven, of God and all his glory, and then wanted to burn all of his books, his entire library, because he said all was straw always straw compared to what the reality is. You know, St. Paul says, I has not seen and ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, I had, think about that for a second. I has not seen, ear has not heard what God, and we're talking about all these amazing things that we've, we've read, we've seen with our eyes from the books of Benedict or heard from our ears. And yet I has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. It's it infinitely greater. So those moments when you would be reading, you know, a, a couple of lines or as Uncle Matt Larry said, 10 words, and then you just have to stop and pray. Like those were those those holy moments, if you will, those pregnant pauses that were little glimpses, glimpses of, of connecting us to that eventual, hopefully eternal beatific beatific vision. And to me, it's just amazing that like here the guy was on earth one day. And then, bam, like, I love you, Jesus. Uh, well, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, here, here is the, the kingdom of God. I mean, I'm not trying to canonize the guy uh, right away or whatever, but, you know, I don't, who knows? Maybe he's in purgatory. I, I'm not, I'm nobody <laughs> to put somebody in heaven. You know, I, who am I? But uh, obviously we pray for, for, for his soul. So, but, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful. You know, look, this is kind of getting into, like, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, not, 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 <laughs> I'm talking about in terms of time or uh, Matt Frad, you know, we're almost at two hours now. And great thing about a podcast, people can keep going back to it. I've been quiet uh, a lot of the times. I, I guess if I were to just say one thing to end this episode on Pope Benedict, the thing uh, for me that I've gone, well, there, there's many different things and maybe I'll, I'll talk about it some other time. Um. I, I really like in his encyclical uh, on God is love, Deus Caritas S, on his explanation of like what true eros is, because I think a lot of times we think that that eros is the 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 word erotic as this this dirty thing, which you know Christopher West says gets confused with the Greek word porneia, which is more of that that kind of lustful, but but that God loves us not just. So the three things of love, of, of eros, this passionate, uh, erotic love, and then this philia, this friendship love, and then there's this agape, which is this sacrificial love. And Pope Benedict said that not only does God love us with agape, with this sacrificial love, but he even loves us with eros. Like God passionately loves us. In fact, he is eros, capital E. 
capital E. He is Eros. So to me, that was just like, whoa, you know, like our desires. And Christopher West says, take our Eros, little, little uh, lowercase e, take our Eros to Eros, capital E. Take our passion to God, who is passion. So that's one thing. And then the other thing I'll just say for now is uh, the homily at his um, inaugurational mass when he was first pope, his very first mass in uh, 2005, he ended his words with recalling the, with recalling words that John Paul II said at his inaugural mass as pope back in October 1978. And I'm not going to quote the whole thing because it's very long. But he recalled how the Pope, uh, Pope John Paul II, told people in that square, in St. Peter's Square, to be not afraid, right? Open wide, the famous words of his, open wide the doors of Christ. And then Benedict pretty much ended his homily by giving commentary on John Paul's homily and who he was talking to. You know, the, the, the great powers of the world and, and, and different structures and this and that. But of course, also to the young people. But John, but Benedict the Sixteenth, you know, twenty-six years later, wanted to repeat it because he says, "Are we not all afraid, in some way, of truly letting Christ in? If we truly let Christ in, are we not afraid of losing something that is good, losing something that is true, losing something that is beautiful from life?" And he, and and he, and then you know, he goes on to say, "Of, of yeah, we can understand why you think you, he might be, but no." If you truly open wide the doors of Christ, you do not lose anything at all. Nothing that is good, nothing that is true, nothing that is beautiful, but you gain all the more. You gain all the more. Therefore, he says, my dear, this is Benedict now, he says, my dear young people, after a long experience of life and of ministry, I say with great gusto, be not afraid. Open, open wide the doors of Christ for it is in him that you will find the fullness of true life. And nothing more, I know it was, it was kind of him and John Paul together, um, but I repeat that, kind, nothing more has spoken to me more than, 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 than those words of Benedict XVI. And I repeat them to the youth and to, to the young adults, uh, adults constantly, and I always go back to it, uh, and I'm ever grateful because I think we are afraid in some way. You know, like we don't want to be a holy roller. Or I, I'm going to have to change my life. And it's like, no, the fullness of life is found in God, in letting Christ in, in letting the doors of Christ. So open, open wide the doors of Christ. So that's my two cents on the matter. Uh, if we go for one more minute and nine seconds, it'll be a solid two hours. So any final thoughts from anybody here at all? Brother Bob? Well, listen, I, I'm very grateful. I know today was Pope Benedict's uh, funeral uh, mass. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it, so I, I very much look forward to doing that. Uh, this will continue to be on YouTube, and then this will also be downloaded and then uploaded into the podcast uh, it, itself so that people uh, can listen to it. And I'll definitely put some notes and different links of where you all can find something, uh, can find more things about Benedict. Highly recommend uh, to read uh, his books. And his interview books are absolutely fascinating. I love reading them, especially when I'm on retreat. Um, so I'll put all that in, in the show notes. So Tim, Sam, Monsignor Paul, all the guests that I've had, thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. 
Father Bob McLaughlin, thank you for being here behind the scenes, being with me. Uh, thank all of you uh, listeners for your uh, encouragement, and let us all pray for the Pope together. Let us pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great evening. God bless, guys. Love you all. Take care. Okay. God bless. You too.